We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 511 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Monday February 20th 2023 it is President's Day 2023 a happy President's Day to those who celebrate and how appropriate that this show is happening on President's Day you know it was many years ago that one of the greatest duos in hip-hop history Eric B. and Rakim came out with a song called Eric B. is President. Here's a sampling. But still say a rhyme after the next one. Prepared, never scared, I'll just bless one. And you know that I'm the solo whiz, so Eric B. make him clap to this. Make, make, make him, make him clap to this. Make, make, make him, make him clap to this. Yeah, Eric B. make him clap. To this. Well, here we are, and on this President's Day, we have another Eric B to discuss. This Eric B is the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Yes, it finally happened. The commanders hired an offensive coordinator, and yes, they did hire Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bienemy. The official announcement came on Saturday morning. Eric Bieniemy, Eric B is officially on board. You know, Washington has not had a great offensive coordinator since Sean McVay's final season as Redskins offensive coordinator 2016. Now, the Skins did have Kevin O'Connell as their offensive coordinator for the 2019 season, but that 2019 Skins team was quite bad. Uh, but yeah, Eric Bieniemy is the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Is Eric Bieniemy Washington's best offensive coordinator since the great Sean McVay? Is Eric perhaps better than Sean? I am excited about this hire, but I do have a lot of thoughts regarding the hire. And so next segment, in-depth reaction to and analysis of the anticipated now being official, the commander's hiring 
Eric Bieniemy. Also on the show, the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend, and we have a lot to discuss. A big weekend of college basketball, a disappointing letdown loss for Maryland, a 70-66 overtime loss at Nebraska on Sunday evening, a road win, finally, for Georgetown, 68-62 at Butler on Sunday afternoon, as the Hoyas snapped a 22-game road losing streak. Quite the weekend for Hoyas Nation, as we had a one-time Georgetown player, Mac McClung, winning the NBA's slam dunk contest on Saturday night. Uh, Number seven, Virginia, for a second consecutive game, had problems against a bad team, but did win a 57-55 win over Notre Dame at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, on Saturday afternoon. And Virginia Tech, which was coming off perhaps its worst loss of the season, not perhaps the team's best win of the season, a 79-72 victory over Pitt at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday evening. I will talk Capitals. Uh, They are in a bad way right now. Four consecutive losses, all in regulation. The latest, a 4-1 loss at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes at NC State's Carter-Finley Stadium on Saturday night as part of the NHL Stadium Series. Should the Caps be sellers? As the NHL trade deadline approaches, yeah, it's time to ask that question. Uh, And I'm talking Nationals and Orioles. Prominent bigwigs have spoken over the last few days at Nats and Orioles spring trainings. Uh, Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo spoke on Friday. And O's chairman and CEO John Angelo spoke on Sunday. You will hear the best of what each guy had to say and my comments on what each guy had to say, and I have quite a bit to say about what each guy had to say. We on this show are going to cover a lot of ground. Remember, this is the podcast that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Hey, following sports is work. Let us do the work for you. It's great to have you with us. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commanders hiring Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash Offensive coordinator tweet from District Sports Talk. They got the big fish. Uh, Tweet from Bobby Wiggins as a fan of this team. We are very fortunate that the two sides have come together. Look forward to EB taking full control of this offense. Tweet from Joe Clare. Slam dunk. Nobody should be upset with this hire. Uh, Email from Stanley Evans. Right, Stanley. Could things finally be looking up for the long-suffering fans of Washington? Will proven Super Bowl-winning players from Kansas City come to play for Eric Bieniemy this year? Could we finally score 30-something points per game? Not saying that all of these things will be happening, but they finally seem possible. Have a great day, Goldie. Smiles all around. Hail. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Stanley. An email about the commander is filled with nothing but joy. I don't often uh, get an email like that. Email from Mike P. Writes, Mike, my thoughts on the hiring of EB. It's his choice, his decision. That should be respected enough. For this organization, after everything that it has gone through the last few years, to get someone of his caliber is a huge step in the right direction. He may not have been calling plays for the Chiefs, but he had a big impact on the offense. He was brought here to do the same. Elevate those around him and get the best out of each player. Tons of people wrote off the Chiefs offense after losing Tyreek Hill, and yet the Chiefs just had one of the best offensive seasons ever. 
Ron needed to make a move like this to help secure his tenure here in Washington. This could be a job saver for Ron. I believe his job depends solely on the ownership change, but whether or not he stays, he helped to put us in shape to have a potential future head coach, or at the very least, a really, really good assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Yeah, great point on Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs last March traded Tyreek to the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek had a terrific 2022 season for the Dolphins. He may be the best receiver in the NFL, but the Chiefs' passing offense in the 2022 regular season per multiple metrics actually was better than the Chiefs' passing offense was in the 2021 regular season. And yes, Eric, the enemy, absolutely was a part of that. Email from Jim D. Writes, Jim, but, 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 but nobody wants to come to Washington. Am I right? Washington is such a dumpster fire. Going to the team is career suicide. Bravo, commanders. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that such a scenario would be possible until now. The whole fan base finally seems to be unified in excitement about something. And who knows? Maybe Rivera decides to step down from coaching after this year and the new owner elevates the enemy to a long-awaited head coaching position with Mr. Snyder, soon to be out of our lives forever. Exciting times are on the horizon. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. It's a funny thing, man. Every offseason, every offseason, we hear and read about how nobody wants to come to or stay in Washington. And yet every offseason, every offseason, we get evidence to the contrary. The truth is that players and coaches care primarily about two things, money and opportunity. And when Washington offers the right money and the right opportunity, Washington gets players and coaches. The notion that nobody wants to come or stay here or very few people want to come or stay here is just wrong and gets disproven every offseason. And my point isn't that Washington is some NFL paradise, okay? Washington is not an NFL paradise. But, you know, this idea that Washington is some torture chamber to which nobody wants to come or in which nobody wants to stay or to which few people want to come or in which few people want to stay just is not correct when you look at the facts. Well, what is correct is going with the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., in West Virginia, call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202 902 76 
202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, if you have like 20 seconds to spare, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two. But the ratings and the reviews do help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, as we have discussed many times on this podcast, you have great success in today's NFL with offense. Uh, don't get me wrong. Defense is important. Defense matters a lot. And ideally, you want your team to be great on both offense and defense. But if you could only pick one aspect of your team to be great, the answer is offense. You know, for years, we in the NFL did see great defense beat great offense. Heck, the Super Bowl that our current commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, lost as Carolina Panthers head coach is an example of great defense beating Great offense. Super Bowl 50 in February 2016. Ron's Panthers, who had an excellent offense that season, got shut down by the Denver Broncos, who had an outstanding defense that season. The Broncos won that Super Bowl 24 10. But more and more these days, great offense is beating great defense. Heck, take a look at the most recent Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57, now two Sunday evenings ago. The Philadelphia Eagles finished the 2022 regular season number six in the NFL in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. The Eagles had a terrific defense for this past season, and yet what happened in Super Bowl 57? The Eagles defense got worked by the Kansas City Chiefs' great offense to the tune of a 38-35 Chiefs win. The Chiefs in Super Bowl 57 averaged a sky-high 6.42 yards per play. You have great success in today's NFL with offense. Well, the NFL team, now known as the Commanders, has not had great success for a rather long time. There are many reasons for that, but among the biggest reasons, certainly in recent history, is offense. Washington has not had anything close to a good offense since the 2017 season and has not had a very good offense since the 2016 season. Well, could it be, might it be, that this is about to change? The commanders on Saturday morning announced the hiring of Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. From Bieniemy's point of view, him taking this job is about parlaying it into an NFL head coaching job. From Ron Rivera's point of view, the hiring of Eric Bieniemy is about saving Ron's job as head coach, given that new ownership of the team appears to be coming. Uh, but from our point of view, the hiring of Eric Bieniemy is about our team for the first time in a long time, maybe possibly having a good offense. Maybe, possibly, not having a season at the end of which we lament how bad our team's offense is as compared to so many other teams' offenses in the NFL. Whether Eric Bieniemy with the commanders works out for all parties involved will be a function of many things, but I do know this. 
the commanders hiring the enemy is exciting because this is a hiring with major upside. There, of course, is no guarantee that the upside will be reached. There is no guarantee that the hiring will work. And as we have come to know (laughs) oh so well with our team, there are so many things that could go wrong. But this also is a hiring that could work out spectacularly well. Eric Bieniemy comes to the commanders off a run of immense success with the Chiefs. It's not just that the Chiefs during Bieniemy's time as an assistant coach for them did well. It's that they did monumentally well. Andy Reid now has been Chiefs head coach for 10 seasons, 2013 through 2022. Eric Bieniemy was an offensive assistant for the Chiefs for each of those 10 seasons. The Chiefs over these 10 seasons have a regular season winning percentage of 722 and have made the playoffs in nine of the 10 seasons, accumulating two Super Bowl titles, three AFC championships, and five AFC championship game appearances. The enemy was the Chiefs running backs coach for the 2013 through 2017 seasons. He was the Chiefs offensive coordinator for the 2018 through 2022 seasons. The Chiefs over those five seasons, 2018 through 2022, made the AFC Championship game in each season. Yes, all five seasons, winning two Super Bowl titles and three AFC Championships. And then with the Chiefs offense. The Chiefs in each of these five regular seasons with Eric Bieniemy as offensive coordinator, 2018 through 2022, finished in the top three of the NFL in total offense per DVOA. 2018, number one. 2019, number three. 2020, number two. 2021, number three. 2022, number one. Top three in the NFL in total offense per DVOA for each regular season. Washington's best ranking in total offense per DVOA for a regular season from 2018 through 2022 was number 21 for the 2021 regular season. So from 2018 through 2022, while the Chiefs for each regular season were finishing at top three in the NFL in total offense per DVOA, Washington was never finishing better than number 21. Now, of course, you have to acknowledge, duh. Andy Reid, duh, Patrick Mahomes. And no doubt, Andy Reid is one of the best offensive head coaches in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes may be the single most gifted quarterback in NFL history. Those two guys are the biggest reasons for why the Chiefs have been such an offensive force. I mean, it's impossible to ignore that Eric Bieniemy's five seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator coincide precisely with Patrick Mahomes' time as the Chiefs QB1. But The way I look at it, more than one thing can be true. It can be true that the biggest reasons for the Chiefs' offensive success over the last five seasons were Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. It can also be true that another reason for the Chiefs' offensive success over the last five seasons was Eric Bieniemy. No, Eric Bieniemy during his time as Chiefs offensive coordinator was not the team's primary offensive play caller, Andy Reid was, but Bieniemy was intimately involved in game planning 
and play designing. There is a lot out there on this, including my conversation with Cody Tapp, co-host of Cody and Gold on 610 Sports in Kansas City. Cody joined me on Friday's show, episode 510, had some really good behind-the-scenes stuff on Eric Bieniemy. Uh, on Twitter is a former NFL scout who has chosen to remain anonymous. Uh, he goes by the handle at the Honest NFL. At the Honest NFL, this past Wednesday afternoon, put out a series of tweets about Eric Bieniemy. Quote: My personal take on the Bieniemy play calling crap. What he does would be more valuable to me as a GM than someone else who calls plays themselves. He's the conduit between Reed and Mahomes. Literally everything goes through him. He is the funnel. Play calling is in his bones. Every single one of those drives Mahomes put together this year, they were soft scripted by EB and Andy together. He gives Andy the charting info between drives. He sets it up. They go through everything together so that anyone could call it just like every good staff does. You can ask any OC who's worked with Andy how they learned the finer points to calling plays, and every single one of them will say it came from Andy allowing them to relay the calls like he did for Holmgren. It's the greatest masterclass possible in offensive football, end quote. Whatever you think about Eric Bieniemy, it's not like he spent the last five NFL seasons playing games on his cell phone while Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes did all of the work. Bieniemy played a significant role, not the biggest role, not the most important role, but a significant role in a Chiefs offense that has just had one of the best five-season runs that any NFL offense has ever had. Like, name me another five-season run of offense by an NFL team that's even comparable to the five-season run of offense that the Chiefs have just had. That's a very short list. Now, all of that said, as much as I am excited about the commanders hiring Eric Bieniemy as their assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, I am going into this with eyes wide open. First of all, because how many times have we as Washington fans gotten super excited over an offseason acquisition only for that acquisition to end up being uh, a disappointment? Uh, But second of all, you can't not at least wonder about this Eric Biennemi head coaching situation. Eric Biennemi, as we all know, has been denied an NFL head coaching job for years. He has interviewed for 16 NFL head coaching jobs with 15 teams. He has not gotten a single one of those jobs. That is a staggering stat. 16 NFL head coaching job interviews with 15 teams, and yet he is 0 for 16. A lot of potential causes of Eric Bieniemy having not gotten an NFL head coaching job have come up. Bieniemy being black, Bieniemy during his time as Chiefs offensive coordinator, having not been the team's primary offensive play caller. Bienemy during his time as Chiefs offensive coordinator, having benefited greatly from having the great Patrick Mahomes as the Chiefs QB1 for each season. Bienemy having not interviewed well for NFL head coaching jobs. Bienemy having had problems getting along with players. Bienemy having had a number of legal problems decades ago. I don't know why Eric Bienemy has not gotten an NFL head coaching job given the Chiefs' great success with him as offensive coordinator. It is odd. It is strange that Biennemi has not yet gotten an NFL head coaching job. 
And here's something that I come back to and something that I've heard talked about a lot in this whole Eric Bieniemy head coaching situation. The Chicago Bears in January 2022 hired Ryan Poles as their general manager. Ryan Poles had spent the previous 13 seasons working for the Chiefs, 2009 through 2021. And yet Poles in January 2022 hired Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus as Bears head coach. In fact, Poles never even interviewed Eric Bieniemy. And in case you're curious, Ryan Poles is black. So presumably, him not hiring or even interviewing Bieniemy was not a race thing. Uh, <laughs> unless Ryan Poles is like the great Dave Chappelle character, Clayton Bigsby, the world's only black white supremacist. Google Clayton Bigsby if you are not familiar uh, with him. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, explain that to me. Ryan Poles, he worked for the Chiefs for 13 seasons, included in that mix were Eric Bieniemy's first nine seasons as a Chiefs assistant coach. Poles became Bears GM, and yet Poles, in making this big hire of Bears head coach, never even interviewed Bieniemy. And so I don't know how you don't at least wonder if there's something with Eric Bieniemy, something about Eric Bieniemy that turns people off. But let me make this crystal clear. I do think that Eric Bieniemy knows offense. I love the fact that he comes to the commanders off having been an offensive coordinator for five seasons for not just a good offense, but for an all-time great offense. And I am very excited by this hire. Now, as for Ron Rivera, as for our guy, Don Ron, uh, you know, Don Ron had not had a good last few months, right? The commanders cratered as their 2022 season went on, 0-3-1 in an oh-so-crucial four-game stretch, weeks 13 through 17 to miss the playoffs. Uh, Ron's biggest acquisition of the 2022 offseason, quarterback Carson Wentz, uh, blew up in Ron's face with a horrendous performance in the loss to the Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field in Week 17, making Ron look bad for benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson as the team's starting quarterback for that game. And then we had what we had now two Fridays ago, February 10th, uh, Ron getting embarrassed by Denver Broncos head coach Sean Payton, who revealed that potential commanders' ownership groups had contacted him about possibly becoming the team's head coach. Uh, Sean Payton said this on Bad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM. Well, the commander's hiring Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator is a win for Ron Rivera. This is a definite public relations win to whatever extent that matters. But more importantly, this is a potential football win. Okay, and I do say potential because we don't know how this is going to work. But this certainly has the potential to be a football win for Ron Rivera. The commander's offensive coordinator search went on and on and on. The commander's fired offensive coordinator Scott Turner on January 10th. They ended up not announcing his replacement until February 18th. A word that got used a lot for much of the search was uninspired or uninspiring, as in the list of guys who the commanders were interviewing for their offensive coordinator job was uninspired or uninspiring. What's funny about that is 
we have no idea. You know, the commanders ultimately interviewed eight guys for the team's offensive coordinator job. Eric Bieniemy was number eight. It may well be that one or more of the first seven guys would have been great. I mean, the Carolina Panthers this past Friday evening, right as the news of the commanders hiring Eric Bieniemy was breaking, announced the hiring of Los Angeles Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach Thomas Brown as Panthers offensive coordinator. The commanders on January 24th interviewed Thomas Brown for their offensive coordinator job. It may be that Thomas Brown ends up being a great offensive coordinator. And a year from now, we're all like, gee, if only the commanders had hired Thomas Brown and not Eric Bieniemy. But given what we know, Eric Bieniemy is an exciting hire and a hire that has the potential to work out in a big way. And that Ron Rivera turned an offensive coordinator search that had a whole lot of people thinking that former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer or Commanders quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi was going to end up being the Commanders offensive coordinator into a search that resulted in Eric Bieniemy being hired as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Well, I give Ron credit for that. You wonder when exactly the Commanders hiring Eric Bieniemy became a distinct possibility. Did Ron know this from the get-go? Like, did he know this when he fired Scott Turner on January 10th? Or did Eric Bieniemy only become a real possibility for the commanders as the search went on? Is Ron lucky that he got Eric Bieniemy as opposed to Ron having mapped this out in his mind weeks ago? We don't know. I don't know that we ever will know. But it is hard to think that Ron's relationship with Andy Reid was not a factor in all of this, right? Ron loves Andy. Ron was the Eagles linebackers coach from 1999 through 2003, which were Andy's first five seasons as Eagles head coach. Uh, the commanders reportedly have signed Eric Bieniemy to a two-year contract, so he has some protection should Ron get fired after the 2023 season or get fired during the 2023 season or, heck, get fired before the 2023 season. Uh, and the commander is giving Bianami this title of assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. So in other words, he's not just offensive coordinator. He is assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. That is significant. I'm sure that uh, old Eric B got a nice pay raise in making it this jump from the Chiefs, and good for him for that. Uh, the Eric Bieniemy introductory press conference as Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator is on Thursday morning at 11. Uh, Commander's team president Jason Wright on Saturday afternoon tweeted out the following about Eric Bieniemy: quote, we are fortunate to have a man of this caliber leading our offense. He's fully empowered to reshape the program in his image, creative game planning, attention to detail, unwavering accountability, our franchise is poised to leap forward, and his leadership will be a catalyst. End quote. My takeaway from that tweet is this portion of the tweet, quote, he's fully empowered to reshape the program in his image. End quote. Is that true? Is the commander's offense truly going to be Eric Bieniemy's baby? Or is Rod Rivera going to be all over Eric Bieniemy to do things certain ways? Ron and Scott Turner ended up not being on the same page. That was a big part of Scott's downfall as commander's offensive coordinator. Hopefully, Ron and Eric are on the same page. And that page is a good page. Uh, not a page of trying to do offense 
like it's 1992. I do wonder what Eric Bieniemy thinks of that uh, joint season-ending press conference for Ron and general manager Martin Mayhew on January 10th, uh, a press conference that turned into a love poem uh, for running game-oriented offense. But you see, here's the thing. Eric Bieniemy comes from having spent the last five seasons as the offensive coordinator for a Chiefs offense that has been ultra-progressive and ultra-productive. And if Eric Bieniemy can just bring some of that thinking and production to the commanders, things will be a lot better. Well, if you want to make your business or practice better, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable, much more so than radio and television advertising. And podcast advertising works. Make more money. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, let's talk college basketball. Every Maryland basketball fan on the planet was well aware of the potential for Sunday evening's game at Nebraska to be a letdown loss for the Terrapins. Uh, The Terps surely knew of the potential for the game to be a letdown loss, and yet the Terps lost the game. Uh, Maryland fell to 18-9 overall and and 9-7 in the Big Ten with a 70-66 overtime loss at Nebraska on Sunday evening. Uh, This off the Terps, big 68-54 win over number three Purdue at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland this past Thursday night. Very disappointing outcome for the Turtles on Sunday evening. The Terps on Sunday evening did overcome a nine-point second-half deficit, but they ultimately lost at a Nebraska team that came into the game just a 6-10 in the Big Ten. Again, letdown loss. The Terps shooting in this game was awful. Uh, They went just 7 of 22 on threes, just 16 of 47 on twos, and just 13 of 19 
on free throws. Maryland has had some really bad shooting games this season. This may have been the worst. I mean, 16 of 47 on twos is atrocious. Uh, Dante Scott had a particularly rough game. He, in 36 minutes as a starter, went just one of eight on threes and just one of eight on twos. He finished with five points, did have seven rebounds, two blocks, uh, but also had one assist versus two turnovers. Uh, The Terps' defense was good. I mean, they held Nebraska to just three of 16 on threes and 21 of 42 on twos. But, you know, the Terps to win this game needed to be the 1993-94 Arkansas Razorbacks, you know, 40 minutes of hell defensively uh, with how bad the Terps shooting was. Uh, Charlotte graduate student transfer Jameer Young, a product of DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, he played for 40 minutes as a starter, one of three on threes, just five of 13 on twos, three of three on free throws. He finished with 16 points, six rebounds, including two offensive boards and six assists versus four turnovers. Hakeem Hart in 40 minutes as a starter went four of six on threes. That was good, but he also went just one of seven on twos. He finished with 14 points, four rebounds, and one assist versus two turnovers. But I mentioned Hart going four of six on threes. The rest of the Terps, three of 16 on threes. Uh, The biggest bright spot for Maryland was 6'9 sophomore Julian Reese. His development does continue. This is encouraging. Four-star recruit out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland. And, you know, the progress hasn't been as quick as we would want, but the guy is showing improvement. And he had a very nice game on Sunday evening. Julian Reese in just 31 minutes as a starter, 16 points, 16 rebounds, including five offensive boards and three blocks. Uh, He went 5 of 8 from the field, all twos. He did go to 6 of 10 on free throws and did have no assists versus two turnovers. But I don't know how you complain about 16 points, 16 boards, and three blocks in just 31 minutes of work. But still, disappointing game for the Terps. Next up for Maryland, home to Minnesota, Wednesday night at 7. Sunday may have been a bad day for Maryland, but Sunday was a good day for Georgetown as the Hoyas actually won a game and on the road, uh, Georgetown improved to seven and twenty-one overall, and two and fifteen <laughs> in the Big East with a sixty-eight sixty-two win at Butler on Sunday afternoon. The Hoyas, with this win, snapped a twenty-two game road losing streak. The Hoyas' last win in a road game had been a sixty-eight sixty win at DePaul on February twenty-seventh, twenty. 21. Think about that. February 27th, 2021. It had been nearly 24 full months since Georgetown's last road win. I mean, (laughs) how pathetic is that? Good for the Hoyas, though, for getting this win. You know, Georgetown, for whatever reason, has played well at Butler over the years. So the Hoyas on Sunday afternoon overcame a 13-point first half deficit. Uh, They allowed Butler to begin the game on a 19-6 run, but then won the rest of the game 62-43. The Hoyas defense was good. The Hoyas held Butler to just a 7 of 26 on threes and did a really good job of defending without fouling. Butler for the game had just six free throw attempts. The Hoyas outscored Butler in free throw points 17-5. The Hoyas out-rebounded Butler 45-29, including having 14 offensive rebounds to Butler's four. And speaking of rebounds, so the Hoyas got two key performances from reserves. Maryland transfer Kudus Wahab 
and USC Upstate transfer Bryson Bazone. And I did say, Kudis Wahab, Kudis was back. He returned from a two-game absence due to what Hoyas head coach Patrick Ewing during his post-game press conference following the Hoyas 89-75 loss to then number 10 Marquette at Capital One Arena now two Saturday afternoons ago, February 11th, called, quote, personal family issues, end quote. But Kudus Wahab on Sunday afternoon was good. 25 minutes off the bench, 14 points, eight rebounds, including four offensive boards and two assists versus two turnovers. He went five of six from the field, all twos and four or five on free throws. And Bryson Bazone, he in 27 minutes off the bench had seven points and eight rebounds, including three offensive boards. He went one of one on threes, one of three on twos and two of two on free throws. The Hoyas won despite not shooting well, just 5 of 15 on threes and just 18 of 44 on twos. Primo Spears and Brandon Murray each struggled from the field for a third consecutive game. Duquesne transfer, Primo Spears, 37 minutes as a starter, 0 of 2 on threes, just a 2 of 11 on twos. He did go 3 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 7 points, 4 steals, 4 assists, versus one turnover and four rebounds. And LSU transfer Brandon Murray, 37 minutes as a starter, just one of four on threes and just five of 11 on twos. But he also went four of five on free throws and he finished with 17 points, six rebounds, including two offensive boards, two steals and two assists versus two turnovers. And another Hoyas starter, Arizona State transfer Jay Heath, he struggled from the field. Uh, 34 minutes as a starter, just one of five on threes, and just three of seven on twos. He also went three of four on free throws and finished with 12 points, seven rebounds, and one assist versus two turnovers. But the Hoyas did win, and on the road. Uh, Next up for Georgetown is a home game, uh, home to St. John's Wednesday night at 9. So Maryland and Georgetown played on Sunday, and Virginia and Virginia Tech played on Saturday. Uh, number 7, Virginia won again, improved to 21-4 and overall and 13-3 and in the ACC with a 57-55 win over Notre Dame at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. The Cavaliers won for the 11th time in 12 games, but the Cavs, for a second consecutive game, struggled to defeat a bad team. Uh, The Cavs had to sweat Notre Dame missing an attempt at a game-winning three as time expired. Uh, Also, the Cavs blew a nine-point first-half lead. All of this happened against a Notre Dame team that, with this loss, fell to 2-14 and in the ACC. Notre Dame is not a good team this season, and the Cavs were coming off a 61-58 win at Louisville this past Wednesday night. Louisville, with that loss, fell to 1-14 and in the ACC. So a three-point win at Louisville this past Wednesday night as Louisville fell to 1-14 and in the ACC, and a two-point win over Notre Dame this past Saturday afternoon as Notre Dame fell to 2-14 and in the ACC. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon. I think, first of all, Notre Dame has played almost everyone very close. Uh, they really have, I, I, and that, I, but they're right there, and they're a dangerous team, and um, you know, it was at home, and um, I think credit to them, and I think we did not play our best basketball start to finish, and you know, a couple times we caught a break. We unplugged in a transition drill, and Lashesky has a walk-up three, and they did miss some open looks. So um, this is a time where you got to double down on and being as sharp and, um, and just focused and, and playing good basketball. You may miss some shots, but you can't have those breakdowns. 
No, you can't. But I do think that it says something very good about this Virginia team that it cannot be at its best and still win. Now, there is another level that UVA is going to have to get to if it's going to do anything of consequence in March, but, you know, 13-3 and in the ACC, (laughs) that's pretty good. Uh, The Wahoos defense on Saturday afternoon was good. Uh, The Hoos held Notre Dame to just 55 points and just 7 of 26 on threes, Uh, but the Hoos offense was not good. The Hoos went just 7 of 24 on threes and just 12 of 28 on twos. We did have another milestone game for Kihei Clark. Uh, He in 31 minutes, 58 seconds as a starter went one of two on threes, three of five on twos, and six of eight on free throws. He finished with 15 points and four assists versus three turnovers. Uh, Kihei in this game actually set two UVA records. He made a school record 133rd start passing London Perantes, and Kihei broke John Crotty's school record for career assists. Uh, Crotty had 683 career assists at Virginia. Kihei now has 685 career assists at Virginia. Here was Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon on Kihei Clark. First, John was a heck of a player, um, and he was tough-minded, and I got some good stories of some of the battles, you know, getting to play against him in the NBA, but to pass a player of that caliber is very impressive. And again, I know it's in five years, but still, Kihei has, um, he's been so important for our program. He's a competitor uh, of the highest level, and he's made a difference ever since he set foot on campus. From his first year with that group, he was the perfect combination uh, to now. And, you know, again, the fact that he had, uh, you know, he was steady. We were struggling. He's seen a lot, you know, and he he made those plays and was, um, you know, I'd like to see the three turnovers dip down a little bit, but... um, it's, it's hard not to just acknowledge what he's done from start to finish in, in almost every area, and I think a lot of people identify with him. So the fact that John was here and he did that um, was, was real special. Yeah, so Kihei Clark lately has been setting one record after another. He and the Who's win at Louisville this past Wednesday night past Duke. Shane Battier as the ACC's all-time winningest player with 71 ACC regular season and tournament wins. And Kihei and the Who's 67-62 win at Syracuse on January 30th past another Dukey, Kyle Singler, for first on the ACC's career minutes played list. Uh, this season is Kihei's fifth collegiate season. He is a graduate student point guard for the Who's. A few other standouts for UVA on Saturday afternoon. Reese Beekman, 36 minutes, 16 seconds as a starter, two of five on threes. Did go just two of seven on twos. He went one of two on free throws. He finished with 11 points, five assists versus no turnovers and four rebounds. And Jaden Gardner in just 26 minutes, 41 seconds as a starter had 12 rebounds, including four offensive boards. He went three of eight from the field, all twos and two of three on free throws. He also finished with eight points and two assists versus two turnovers. This was not a pretty win for the Cavs, but this was a win. Uh, Next up for Virginia at Boston College Wednesday night at seven. Meantime, a big win for Virginia Tech on Saturday evening, the Hokies improved to 16 and 11 overall and 6 and 10 in the ACC with a 79-72 win over Pitt at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. Go figure the Hokies. They were coming off a really bad loss, a 77-70 loss at Georgia Tech this past Wednesday night. Georgia Tech with that win improved to just 3 and 13 in the ACC, but the Hokies on Saturday evening beat a pit team that came into the game at 12-3 and in the ACC. The Hokies led for the entire second half. 
They held Pitt to just three of 18 on threes. Tech went nine of 19 on threes. And that was basically the difference in the game. Each team was good on twos. Each team was bad on free throws. And things like rebounding and turnovers were essentially the same. Uh, the Wright State graduate student transfer, Grant Facili, another big scoring game for Virginia Tech. He, in 30 minutes as a starter, went four of eight on threes and four of five on twos. He did go just two of four on free throws and did commit five turnovers, but he finished with 22 points and he had two assists. Sean Fadula, 39 minutes as a starter, two of three on threes, did go just two of six on twos, but he also went two of two on free throws. He finished with 12 points, six rebounds, five assists versus one turnover and two steals. Hunter Couture, 32 minutes as a starter, three of four on threes. He did go just one of three on twos and just one of three on free throws, but he finished with 12 points, five rebounds, three assists versus no turnovers and two blocks. And the Hokies got great production off the bench from Rice transfer, Malijal Poteet. Malijal Poteet, he in just 20 minutes off the bench had 15 points and six rebounds, including two offensive boards. Uh, He did also have no assists versus two turnovers, but he went four or five from the field, all twos and seven to nine on free throws. Uh, Malijal Poteet had not scored more than nine points in any game this season, but he on Saturday evening was quite good. Big win for the Hokies. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to number 15 Miami, Tuesday night at seven. So the NHL trade deadline is on Friday, March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern. And you got to wonder if the Capitals right now are telling us with their play that they should be sellers. Uh, We on Saturday night had an outdoor game for the Caps. Uh, These outdoor games in the NHL are a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of them. Uh, They break up the monotony of what is a (laughs) very long NHL season. You know, the Caps historically had done well in outdoor games, 3-0-0. Well, that record now is 3-1-0, a 4-1 loss at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes at NC State's Carter-Finley Stadium on Saturday night as part of the NHL Stadium Series. Uh, Hey, the game looked great, okay? Uh, The stadium was packed, announced attendance of 56,961. Great job by the NHL. But the Caps were really bad on Saturday night. Uh, The Caps were down 4-0 after two periods. The Caps got smashed in the puck possession battle. The Caps, per natural stat trick, had just 36 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Hurricanes' 53, including just six five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Hurricanes' 13. Uh, And the Caps finished with a mere 25 shots on goal to the Hurricanes' 35. Uh, The Caps' starting goaltender, Darcy Kemper, was not good. He stopped just 31 of the 35 shots on goal that he faced. Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped just seven of the 10 high-danger shots on goal that he faced. And he gave up a goal on a low-danger shot on goal. Caps' special teams were not good. The Caps went just 3 of 4 on the penalty kill and 0 of 2 on the power play. On and on I could go. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference late night on Saturday night. They were they were the better team. They were they were faster. We couldn't couldn't get breakaway speed out of our end. We couldn't get through the neutral zone. Um, offensively, we were, they were quick to defend. We couldn't get off the walls. We couldn't get to the the front of the net, and so um, they played at a different gear. And then they won most of the battles as well. So the speed and the battles. 
Yeah, and with that speed factor, uh, the Caps are a very old NHL team. And so when you hear about speed being a problem, you're not exactly shocked. Uh, The Caps now have lost four consecutive games, with each loss being a regulation loss. The Caps, up until this point in this regular season, had not lost more than two consecutive games in regulation. And the Caps now are 28-24-6 and and would not be in the Stanley Cup playoffs if they started today. It is true that the Caps continue to be without a number of key players, including the team's greatest player. Uh, Winger Alex Ovechkin is out due to the death of his father, Mikhail Ovechkin. Uh, The Caps remain without a bunch of guys due to injury. Defenseman John Carlson, hand forwards Nick Dowd, Connor Brown, and Carl Hagelin. But It is also true, like I just said, that the Caps are a very old team, and they're not playing well right now. And while that can change, you wonder if the Caps should use this season, at the very least, as a reset season. You don't necessarily have to blow the whole thing up, but maybe just maybe this is a season in which the Caps should be sellers at the NHL trade deadline and should reset the roster. And maybe it's time to start playing some younger guys, you know, people like forwards Alexi Protis and Joe Snively and defenseman Alexander Alexiev. Uh, winger Tom Wilson on Saturday night was back, uh, and he was good. Uh, he returned from a seven-game absence caused by a lower body injury that he suffered in a 3-2 loss at the Colorado Avalanche on January 24th. Uh, Wilson on Saturday night, 14 minutes, 20 seconds of playing time. He had a third period, even strength goal, and a team-high tying three shots on goal. But, well, Tom Wilson was good on Saturday night. Too many other Caps were not. Next up for the Caps, home to the Detroit Red Wings, Tuesday night at 7. Well, this past weekend was the first weekend of spring training season for the Nationals and Orioles. I'm going to get to the O's next segment. But we on Friday had the first media session for Nats President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo of 2023 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida. Two things from Mike stood out to me. Uh, One was him addressing his contract situation. So, For Mike Rizzo right now, we have the Nats' ownership uncertainty, right? The learners are trying to sell the team, but the sale of the team has stalled due to the massive mess. Uh, We have the Nats being in a rebuild, uh, thanks largely to years of bad drafting and player development by Mike and his staff. And we have Mike entering a contract season. The Nats last July 2nd announced that they had exercised the 2023 contract options on Mike Rizzo and manager Davey Martinez. The Nats in September 2020 announced multi-year contract extensions for Mike and Davey. The reporting was that each guy got a three-year extension, but we last May learned that each extension was a two-year extension with a club option for 2023. So Mike and Davey each is entering the final season of his contract. And so the 2023 season could be the final season for both Mike and Davey with the Nats. Uh, this was Mike Rizzo on Friday on his contract situation. You know, my, my sense is that uh, that I've got a job to do th- this year. I'm under a contract this year. It's not the first time, won't be the last time I'm, a, I'm on a, a lame duck contract. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I, I've been there before. Uh, I was an area scout that worked on 20 one-year contracts in a row. So uh, th- this is no, I'm no stranger to, uh, to, to limited security. Uh, you know, m- my work will be my resume and we'll, and we'll see how, we'll see how it, uh, how it goes on from there. Uh, but, 
you know the uh, the learner family is is the owner of this club they're our, they're our boss we take our marching orders from them and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna you know do the job we've always done here Good answer right there from Mike Rizzo. Uh, He is right when he says that he's no stranger to limited security. Uh, That's how it has been for him working for the learners. The Nats hired Mike Rizzo in July 2006, promoted him to interim general manager in March 2009, and removed that interim tag from his GM title in August 2009. He has been with the Nats for a long time. He overall has done a good job, but his last few years have not gone well. And like I said, and as we've talked about on this podcast, the Nats bad drafts and bad player development are major reasons for why the Nats are where they are. Well, drafting and player development fall directly under the purview of Mike Rizzo. And I still believe that if the Nats had been better at drafting and player development in recent years, then the team would not have traded outfielder Juan Soto last July. I think that a big reason for the Nats pulling the trigger on trading Soto so soon was the realization that their farm system was terrible and also the realization that the major league team was terrible and the team was in dire need of an infusion of quality prospects and so Juan Soto got traded last July. But if the farm system had been in better shape, I think that it's quite possible that Juan Soto might still be in that. And that's one of the things about the Soto trade that bothers me. Yes, there was a baseball justification for trading Soto, but it may well have been that trading Soto was the result of the team having done a really bad job of drafting and developing players. Uh, Also from Mike Rizzo on Friday, he seemed to get emotional talking about starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Now, it's hard to really hear Mike get emotional, but if you watch the video of the press conference, Mike does appear to well up at one point while talking about Strasburg, uh, for whom we've already had bad news. Uh, Davey Martinez in a press conference this past Wednesday afternoon, what was the day of the first workout for pitchers and catchers at 2023 National Spring Training, revealed that Steven Strasburg had been shut down due to a recurrence of nerve pain, and the recurrence happened off just a second bullpen session. Here was Mike Rizzo on Friday on Steven Strasburg. I don't think it was, it, it, to me personally, it was not unexpected. Uh, you know, it was something that was always in uh, the, the possibility range. Uh, you know, this is a this is kind of, uncharted territory for at least for me and in our organization it's uh, it's uh, you know you've got a uh, a, a difficult uh, injury a a unique surgery uh with the underlying uh, the underlying health issues with with Strauss has had with his with his elbow and his shoulder and that type of thing so you know this is going to uh, we have to really be patient with him. It's going to take time, uh, but as as far as uh, uh, expecting him to, you know, be ready to go in the beginning of spring training or break camp with the team, that was never anything on uh, on my expectation list. It was it's something that um, that we're hopeful that uh, that he can you know regain regain uh, the strength and confidence to uh, to per, to uh, perform again. Uh, but the the thing I feel. Uh, bad about is is Strauss. You know, he's uh, you're talking about one of the best big game pick pitchers that's ever pitched. Uh, 
the best big game pitcher the Nationals have ever had, and uh, and 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 anywhere in baseball. So you're talking about an ultra competitor who wasn't afraid of anything to take the ball into the the toughest, you know, most unique situations and and perform admirably. And uh, and you know, kind of uh, we built this franchise on, on the back of him. And uh, just feel bad that he can't, uh, you know, he can't kind of relish into into the end of his career, you know, gracefully and uh, and that type of thing. And he's, you know, he just feels he just feels you know terrible about it. And I was, I saw him throw a couple of times in in DC and in, in the cages, and and uh, you know, it's it was it was good to see him throw pain free. And uh, and uh, you know, he obviously was nowhere you know nowhere near ready to you know competition, but. Uh, Throwing pain free was the first thing, and then uh, when we got the call that it, that the nerve was acting up again, it was you know it was something that was uh, it was something that uh, was not unexpected, but it was still you know the uh, the news of that never it never feels good. Yeah, I said my piece on Steven Strasburg on this past Thursday show, episode five hundred nine. I think that he's done, and that all that's really left is for him to come to the realization that he's done. It is sad. I mean, the guy's made just eight major league regular season starts since the Nats in December 2019 re-signed him to that seven-year, $245 million contract. But as Mike Rizzo pointed out on Friday, Steven Strasburg feels bad about this. And I do believe that. I mean, I don't think that Strasburg is like just laughing while collecting his millions of dollars for not pitching. I do believe that his body failing him like this and him feeling like he's failing the team, are difficult for him. And in those regards, I do have sympathy for Steven Strasburg. And it sure seems that Mike Rizzo does as well. We move now to Orioles spring training in Sarasota, Florida. The biggest news at Orioles camp had been some injuries to relievers. Uh, Both Felix Batista and Dylan Tate could be out. For the start of the regular season, Batista might be good to go, but Tate is almost definitely going to be out. He's dealing with a right forearm flexor strain. But we on Sunday had a very significant development at Orioles spring training. John Angelos spoke, and he spoke for a while. Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos on Sunday spoke to reporters for more than 37 minutes, if you can believe that. Uh, He very much made it seem like the Orioles' lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority ending on December 31st of this year is in no way indicative of anything. In other words, a new lease is going to get done and the O's are not going anywhere in terms of relocating. But the biggest item to me was that John Angelos made it sound like his family has no plans to sell majority ownership of the O's. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that there is a belief that when John's dad, Peter Angelos, passes away, the O's will be sold. Uh, Peter is 93. He has been in failing health for years. Uh, Both Washington Times columnist Tom Lavero, who has had a good relationship with Peter Angelos, and sports business expert Marty Conway, who used to work for the O's, uh, have on this podcast said that they believe that the Angelos family will sell the O's when uh, Peter's time on this earth is no more. Well, look, maybe John Angelos was lying, but he sure made it sound like he's not going anywhere. 
So one of the mysteries with the O's right now is the contract status of O's Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias. We on Sunday had this exchange between a reporter and John Angelos, who then got into his status. How long is Mike under contract here? So I think you guys have asked Mike that a couple times. I, like, I, I, and, and he is, I think, de- declined to say, you know, this is an entertainment community activity. It's sports, it's media, it's supposed to be fun and a distraction. You, you, a lot of companies don't talk about their human resources issues and their employment contracts. I, I will tell you guys this. Um, I'm here for the long haul. Mike is here for the long haul. Brandon's here for the long haul. We are all um, fully vested. Uh, we're not going anywhere. And nobody's a short timer. Nobody is expiring in a year or two years or anything like that. I, I hope you guys respect it. It's just not great policy for me to talk about people's personal relationships. But we're all here under contract long term. All right. Quote, we're all here under contract long term. End quote. Uh, John Angelos right there certainly made it sound like he's not going anywhere. Uh, And so we later in his session with reporters on Sunday had this exchange. John, when you say that Brandon Brandon is here for long, Tom, Mike, and you, does that mean that the team was going to stay in Angelos' family hands? But it's not... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. So, so there is absolutely no plan to change the partnership group or to change the managing partnership structure that we have um, to the extent that other people would say, hey, I, I like what they're doing in Baltimore. I like the Camden Yards is going to be part of a renewed public-private partnership with the city and the state, and I want to be part of that. Well, sure. I mean, why, why would... That's... All of the partners that um, my family, my father put together 30 years ago, many, not all, some have transitioned out. But it's been a tremendous amount of continuity. But you want to have a next generation of people coming in, too. And you want them to be excited. And it would be nice if we could attract strategic people um, who care about Baltimore, who care about the way we're doing this now, who care about the example Camden Yard set, and, and want to be part of it. That's not necessary or require requisite but it's we're open to it but there is no plan to change or uh to transition out of what we've got today okay so john angelos right there did seem open to welcoming on new minority owners for the orioles but he in no way sounded like an owner with plans on selling majority ownership of the o's uh if you are like me and you believe that the angelos family cannot sell the o's soon enough uh, you were rather disappointed with what we heard from John Angelos on Sunday. Although I would say it is possible that John Angelos was lying. Okay, you can't dismiss that. But if he wasn't lying, then it may not be that the Angeloses will be selling the O's after Peter Angelos passes away, whenever that is. And this has ramifications, not just for the O's, but also for the Nationals, right? Because the Lerner family is trying to sell the Nats, but that sale has been stalled thanks to this Masson dispute with the O's. Uh, As for the Angelos family's intra-family dispute, uh, Louis Angelos last June 9th ignited a legal battle against his brother John Angelos and their mother Georgia Angelos for control of the O's. Now, the lawsuits have since been dropped. Uh, here was John Angelos on Sunday on the Angelos Family Feud. 
uh, I think those things are distractions and it's unfortunate whenever they arise. Um, but all good things going forward now. And um, I'm really confident what Mike and Brandon are doing, what the management team's doing. And I think those things are uh, as they should be in the, in the rearview mirror and receding. Yes, receding. Uh, well, I will say this. Good for John Angelos for talking with reporters as he did on Sunday. Like I said, 37 plus minutes. A lot of owners would not have done that. Uh, look, Nats managing principal owner Mark Lerner has not done anything like that in forever. Uh, maybe John Angelos on Sunday was lying. Maybe he was lying like a rug, okay? Again, you can't dismiss that possibility. But then again, maybe he was telling the truth. Uh, but this is a big deal. The ownership of the Orioles, the O's in terms of their baseball operations are in such good shape. There is so much reason to be excited with this team from an on the field standpoint. The organization is like overflowing with promising young players right now. But the ownership of the team has been a major question for years. And it may be that the ownership will not be changing anytime soon. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 512. We'll have plenty for you on the commanders off the hiring of Eric Bietemi as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. I am planning on a special guest for Tuesday's show. I don't want to jinx anything, so I'll just say stay tuned. How about that? <laughs> uh, have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. But still say a rhyme after the next one Prepared, never scared, I'll just bless one And you know that I'm the solo whistle So Eric B, make him clap to this Make, make, make him, make him clap to this Make, make, make him, make him clap to this When you drive a vehicle so reliable It's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.